Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Lord, it's our, it's our humble prayer that you would send your spirit to accompany your word and apply your living word to our lives that we ourselves might be changed and transformed, might love you more, and might know the life that is truly life in the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. At verse 22, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that The patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Amen. Well, we are spending, we're we're spreading Pentecost right through the month of June, this annual celebration of of how the Holy Spirit came to the church in Acts 2 and and the mission of the church expanded and the power of God was with the people of God. That annual celebration that we have, we're just spreading it right through June because we need the power of the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit. And so we've been sticking in this this chapter, Acts 2, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is God at work in your life to make things different. We've seen that the the Holy Spirit is is sanctifier. We're not seeing everything that the Holy Spirit does in this series, but we're looking at four aspects that Acts chapter 2 gives us. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifier. It's the one who makes us holy makes things right. Last week we saw the Holy Spirit as the church builder. The church is the Holy Spirit's project, reaching this fallen world and glorifying His name. And we get to be a part of that. He's called us to be a part of that. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just poured out on particular people, but is poured out now on all believers, on women and men, on slaves and free, on young and old, on all believers have the power of the Holy Spirit to execute the mission of the gospel 
And in Acts 2, uh, 21, we saw, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Well, today, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is the life giver. Just as it says in the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. I'm going to suggest this morning, you need more life in your life. You need more life in your life. Next week, uh, we will concentrate on the Holy Spirit as baptizer, and you're not going to want to miss that. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is that, that person of the Trinity, is that God who applies the power of God to your life. He takes God's character, He takes God's being, God's love and grace and all that God is and all that God has done for you, and He applies it to your life. The Holy Spirit applies it to your life. What Jesus did for you on the cross means nothing to you until you believe and the Holy Spirit applies that work to your life. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And that alone is enough to short-circuit our rational minds, isn't it? And in fact, I think that was, that's what it's meant to do, you see. God reveals Himself as Trinity and it crashes our computer because we can't, we can't think of, of something that's one and three. A God is one and three all at once. But I think that's exactly what, what's intended. See, if you have a God in your life that you fully understand, that's a God of your own making. But God has revealed Himself as beyond our rational comprehension. And now we know it's truly God because of the mystery of the Trinity. And he reveals himself, one God in three persons, and we see as he reveals himself, we see the particularities of the operations of the persons and how they relate to one another. Are you coming along? Are you with me? See, we get to see kind of what the three do and how they operate just a little bit differently in relationship to one another. But still we've got to think, well, they're one, though. They're one. You don't want to lose that. But we get to see these little differences. So you might say the Father, the Father's creator God. The Father uh, generates. The Father uh, begins things. Then the Son, what does the Son do? The Son, Scripture talks about the Son being redemption. He redeems. He accomplishes the act of God. He, he is begotten. The Spirit, well, what about the Spirit? The Spirit seems to sustain things along to hold things together, and the Spirit completes and applies the work of God's redeeming grace. How do you think of the Spirit? The Spirit is kind of the finisher, the completer, the one who carries the work on to the end. The Spirit is the, uh, is the closer. When I worked at Peter Piper Pizza, sometimes I was the, I was the closer, you know, and it was kind of fun. But at minute midnight, I was the last one there doing the dishes. The Spirit is the closer. He's going to get the work done, you see. He's going to bring things to completion. And I want you to know, too, since I haven't had a chance to say it, that when you recite the Apostles' Creed, and it says in the third article, I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? 
The Holy Catholic Church. That's not Roman Catholicism. That's Catholic means universal. The universal church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Good. The choir got it. You guys got to keep up. <laughs> the life everlasting. Whenever you recite that in the creed, you're not saying you believe in all of those products and all of those activities. Who do we believe in? We believe in God. Who do you put your faith in? You put your faith in God alone. And so these things that follow, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and there's a list of things. That's a li- I want you to know that's a list of the things the Spirit does. So if you ever want to know what does the Spirit do, you just go back and you look at that list. You think about each of those as activities, as products of the Spirit's work. And we don't worship the products, and we don't put our faith in the products. We put our faith in God alone. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so maybe that's a... A, a longer uh, Holy Spirit series at another, at another time. Today we're just in Pentecost, okay? The Holy Spirit applies the power of God and the benefits of His redeeming work to our lives. And that application produces all these benefits that we celebrate, that we sing about, these wonderful things that happen in our lives. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, well, then what is it to you? What good is it to you? When we lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, we had a a deck uh, put on the back of our house, beautiful deck. It was about the size of the house. It was a little house, big deck. You know, it uh, it, it, like (laughs) a big guy in a little coat. It was a little house, big deck. And the the guy who put it on there almost destroyed the house putting it on there. But there it was. And we loved it. It doubled the living space on a nice day, you know. And, uh, but a wood deck requires what? Some maintenance, some, some water sealant. A wood deck requires water sealant. Well, lucky thing, there is such a thing as water sealant. It's a great product, and, and, and it'll protect the wood. It's, it's a wonderful product. And, and a good thing, too, I was able to obtain a lot of this water, this water sealant and deck sealant, buckets of it. I really had buckets of it. And so there I had this wonderful wood deck and, and buckets of sealant. But somehow, week after week, the deck started to show signs of wear, even some cracking. Can anybody guess why? <laughs> the product doesn't do you any good unless it gets applied. And in this case, the applier, the applicator, me, was more interested in watching golf than, uh, than putting this stuff on, right? The Holy Spirit applies the work of God to your life. The Holy Spirit is God at work in your life to make things different. It's got to be applied. It's got to touch ground with you. It's got to come home. Redemption in Jesus is applied. Eternal salvation is applied. It's applied to your life by the Holy Spirit. And no kidding, this is, this is life and death here. This is a life-sized question. Is the work of God being applied to your life by the Spirit of God? Because until it is, it means nothing to you. Without the Lord, the giver of life, 
You see, we're detached. And detached from the power of God to give life, friends, we're nothing but cut flowers waiting to wilt and perish. Now, true story. Every Sunday I've been up here preaching at you, there have been cut flowers in a vase right back here. And I was intending to pull one out as an illustration. And, and do you know what they put up here today? <laughs> These are just attached. So, I'm going to be in big trouble because I cut one. I cut one off. Oh, and then they tied it, they tied it on there anyway. Okay. Thank you. I'll put it right here. All right. It's <laughs> uh, fun, isn't it? You know, when we're detached from the Spirit of God, when we're detached, separated from the author of life, serious now, it's like cut flowers. You're just waiting. You're just waiting. And life is just inching toward death. You need more life in your life. You need the Holy Spirit. Why do I call the Holy Spirit the life giver? Well, I call the Holy Spirit the life giver because, first of all, that's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. In, in John chapter 6, he said he's the, the Lord, the giver of life. He said uh, in John chapter 6, verse 30, 63, the Spirit gives what? Life. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus said the Spirit gives life. He's the life giver. He said, in some way, I want you, when I think of the Spirit of God, I want you to think of the source of life. I want you to think of God giving life. I want you to think of him as life giver. And so Peter, in this sermon that we have before us, he says that the Holy Spirit, who should be known as the source of life, has a particular role to play in the most important story ever told. Look at your page. What is Peter preaching on? It's the gospel. And he says the Spirit of God has got a role to play in the greatest story ever told, how Jesus the Son came to earth in the flesh, and he, and he bore witness to, and he enacted the, the beauty of the kingdom of God. And then he went to the cross, and he died. He died for us, for our sins. And he went into the grave, and then he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, the first of all who are saved for eternal life, drawing all who believe in his holy name to where he himself has gone. It's the greatest story ever told. It couldn't have happened without the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit foretells the coming of the Messiah. The Spirit comes to Mary the immaculate conception and seeds the life of Jesus within her womb. The Spirit descends on Jesus at baptism and accompanies Jesus through all of his teaching, accompanies his word, accompanies his, his actions, his miracles. And then, after all that, Peter, he, he, wants, he wants us and he wants his hearers on that day to focus on one key moment when, if it was not for the power of the Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, all would be lost. Let's look together. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, I've got to put this somewhere. I'll, I'll be back for that. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. We're in the middle of a great sermon here, by the way. <laughs> this Not mine, this one. This is a model sermon for any who would stand to preach the gospel. It's a model for us. And watch what Peter does. He creates connection. He says, hey, fellow Jews, hey, fellow Israelites, I'm one of you. He creates connection. And then he, he, he sort of disarms them with humor, as Pastor John talked about last week. He's not going to get upset. He's going to disarm you with humor. And so he's created connection. He's disarmed you with humor. And then he body slams you with the word of God. And what's the effect? The hearers are cut to the heart. They can't believe what they're hearing. They change their lives. They trust in Jesus, and they are saved for eternal life. And that's going to be the subject of the message next week. It's the greatest story ever told. But look at this now. We get to watch Peter outline the gospel story. The text he's using is Joel, and he says, listen, the text, the Scriptures, they told you what was going to happen. Then this Jesus, who, who he calls here a man. Did you notice that? This man. Once again, Peter's connecting with the people. He says, let's meet where you are, not where I am. Peter knows that Jesus is much more than a man. But he says, this man, Jesus, God, God approved him to you through all these signs and wonders, just like Joel said he would. And you saw that. So what are you going to do with it? You saw him do these things. You saw the the bread go out. You saw him walking on water. You saw him healing people. You saw these things. What are you going to do with that? You see, Peter was among these people, and they had all witnessed that God had poured out wonders and miracles through Jesus. So he just says, we saw this stuff. We witnessed wild things. I walked on water for Pete's sake. I'm glad some of you got that, right? <laughs> Listen, the, the, the first generation had a harder time believing that Jesus was a person like us than they had believing that he was some kind of a God. Why? Because they had seen some wild, wild things. And Peter says, what are you going to do with all that? But then verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus did a lot of wonderful things, but his ministry and his purpose, they culminated at the cross. But never was God out of control. Never was God the Father in heaven wringing his hands, looking at what was happening to to Jesus and saying, Oh, no. What are they going to do with him next? No, no. God was in perfect control. He knew what was happening. And what was meant for evil, God purposed for good, the salvation of all mankind. Even the mankind that put Jesus on that cross. Jesus died, he went to death. When we recite it in the Apostles' Creed, it it says he descended into hell. People get tripped up on that sometimes. I want you to understand Jesus was dead. There's no aspect of 
death, no aspect or, or depth or distance or existential separation or experience of death that Jesus was not fully in. He was dead, helplessly, hopelessly dead. But God, verse 24, raised him from the dead. He was dead and freed him from the agony of death. Hear me now. Do you think the cross was painful? Jesus was in the agony of death and freed from it by the power of the living God because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, how can that be? Lean forward, friends. There's a lot in this. Listen now. Jesus, he took our sin. He took it on himself, not not just yours and mine, the sin of all, the disobedience of all humanity. He took it on himself, on his flesh, in such a real and actual way that his death on the cross was not one man dying. It was a a sacrifice to, to, to take on himself all of the wrath of God against disobedience. What's the wrath of God? The wrath of God is where God not only won't tolerate the, the disobedience that leads to death and destruction, but He moves against it. He doesn't just say, I, 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 I won't tolerate that, but He acts against it. That's the wrath of God, and that's all poured out on Jesus. He takes it all on Himself, all the wrath of God poured out on the Son. That's how really and truly he bore our sins in his flesh on the cross. The Bible says he became sin for us. So Jesus is dead in sin. Not his sin, our sin. But he lies there dead in sin. How then can the Father God turn and reach out to him and and restore him? Does the Father God just change his mind and say, no, I'm no longer going to move against disobedience and unrighteousness. Uh, uh, does the father just sort of have a, a second thought and think, ah, sin, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just, you know, um, I'm just going to just let that go. No, 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 no. God, the Holy One, is always on a move against unrighteousness and disobedience. And God the Father pours out his wrath on God the Son What's to be done? It's God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. It's God the Holy Spirit, as some theologians in the church would call the love between the Father and the Son. Those stretched can never break. The Holy Spirit reaches down into death where Jesus lies. It's the Holy Spirit who pours life into Jesus the Son, who is dead in sin. It's God the Holy Spirit who raises Jesus up from death to life. This is the power of God, the Lord, the giver of life. And because Jesus never sinned, the claim of death was unfounded. And so he didn't die from his own disobedience. He died for others, for others' disobedience. And death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Amen? As Peter says. Well, that's, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? It's, it's more than we can understand. In fact, I teach it, and I don't understand it. You see? Because it's a mystery of God's movement in the Holy Trinity. But what I want you to see is this. I want you to see the Spirit's unique role in the great work of redemption wrought in Jesus Christ. 
that when he was dead in the tomb, lifeless, the Lord, the giver of life, he came in and he restored him to eternal life. Is there enough life in your life? The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. Romans 8.11 The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So Peter says as he continues on in his sermon, he says, well, that reminds me of Psalm 16. Psalm 16, which nobody could figure out what Psalm 16 was about until Jesus came and the Messiah and, and, and rose from the dead. And then they recognize, oh, this is about how God conquers death and how God holds on to us. Even when we die, he's got our lives. And, and even as our lives are waning when we die physically, God's got a hold of us. Listen, without the Spirit of God, Life is just a process of dying, and death is permanent. Without the Spirit of God, we are just inching toward the grave. But with the Spirit applying what Christ has accomplished, we're not cut flowers. We're attached to the author of life. With the Spirit of God, death is not the end. Death is an empty shadow quickly dispersed by the light of God's eternal glory. It's a a dream from which you wake up in the presence of God. And life is life eternal. See, death is a shadow and life is life eternal starting right now. When you've got the Spirit of God in your life through Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, verse 26, therefore, my heart is glad. What's your therefore that makes your heart glad? You need something solid. How about the power of God to hold on to you no matter what? Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests in hope. My body is at peace knowing that God has demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that He's more powerful than death and that what Jesus did to save us worked and that any who are hidden in Christ will know the same victory over death that He did. And even though my body may die, even though my body may waste away and cease functioning, even though my body may come to its end, I'm not going to die. There's too much life in my life. I'm hidden in Christ. You can burn my body and scatter the ashes. I'm not dead because I'm in Christ, and there's too much life in my life in the power of His Spirit. Death couldn't hold Jesus. And friends, if you are in Christ, death cannot hold you. Amen. That's the power of the Lord, the giver of life. Verse 28. You'll say it with me. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with joy in your presence. The paths of life are made known. That's joy in the presence of God. 
Peter goes on and says, you know, Psalm 16, uh, David, he was, David who wrote that psalm, he says, he died. He died. His body's, you can go see his tomb if you want. He died. So who's he talking about when he talked about a body that did not decay to prove the power of God over death? Well, it's not David's body. David died. It's Jesus' body. It's Jesus, who once raised from death was then raised to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. What are you going to do with that? God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, verse 32. Peter's saying, what are you going to do with that? And I ask you, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to dismiss it? You've seen some amazing things. You've seen the power of God in your life. You've seen something in Jesus. I know you have. Even if you're here this morning and you're exploring the faith, you don't know the Lord, I can tell you, you've seen something. And it's brought you here this morning. It's the power of God. And you've seen Christians do amazing things. You've seen uh, people who have moved into your life with grace that you didn't know was possible, forgiveness that you thought was outlandish, love that that you didn't know where it was sourced. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I want to ask you, just like Peter asked this body, what do you intend to do with all that? I'll tell you what God intends to do. He sees you and he knows you by name. He intends to apply all the power of his redeeming work to your life, to your life. He intends to hold on to you, whatever comes, in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, to grip your life, to grip your soul. Life isn't just inching toward death. Life is eternal life, beginning right now when you're in Jesus, by the power of his Spirit, God intends to pour out His Holy Spirit on you, to move toward you, to envelop you, to wrap the sense of His presence around you like a a warm hug. God intends to pour His Holy Spirit out on you to serve you. Imagine that. God intends to serve you, to lift you up into what is good for you and good for your life and good for your soul, and lends you into eternal life through Jesus Christ. God intends, what does He intend? He intends to make your life more of a life. The same Spirit of God, the life giver, is right here being poured out on you. Do you need more life in your life? Turn to Jesus. Life is so delicate, it's so fragile. As I wrote in the e-blast this week, it's at the same time the most powerful force that we know, and it's the most delicate and fragile. Have you ever seen a sonogram? Have you ever seen a, you know, an image of, of an unborn child and all their fragility? And Focus on the Family last month uh, held a, a history-making event when they hosted a, a 4D ultrasound in Times Square. And when the 18,000 people gathered in the heart of New York City, uh, saw that child and heard that heartbeat come through the speakers, there were cheers erupting. Why? Because there's life. And it's so beautiful. Just, Just look at how beautiful it is. And it's so fragile at the same time. 
this week as a city, we've all been praying uh, for the, the life of Mark uh, Carla. Uh, is the mayor's son-in-law, Mayor John Souther's son-in-law, who was hit by a runaway stolen Jeep a couple of weeks ago, and he's been in intensive care since then. And, and we've been praying. His life is so precious. Life is so fragile. And it can be taken in an instant. Life is delicate, but it's so beautiful. Apart from connection with the author of life, apart from connection, we are just cut flowers waiting to wilt and perish. But when you abide in Jesus, when you allow the Spirit of God in your life, the Lord, the giver of life, you know His power. The Father sent the Son The Son conquered sin and death. The Spirit raised Him up. And all who call on His name, on the name of Jesus, they will know the same fate as He did. Eternal life. Lord, thank You that You care for every single one of us in this room. Every single one. There is no life in the entire universe that is not dependent on your hand to pour out life. So we thank you and we glorify you. Lord, we know we've scratched a tenth of the depth of your holy word in this passage, but we're grateful that you teach us, that you draw us close. I pray for everyone present that they would turn to you in the name of Jesus and know the power of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.